Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back. Thanks for being here today. We welcome all those who are uh, new, maybe first time here at Grace Crossing Church. We're honored to have you with us, and uh, thank you for joining us for our, our series that we're in. This is our Lent series. We're actually moving toward Easter in this series, and we've been in a series entitled Dead Serious. And we've used a text of scripture to kind of frame this entire series that we're going to look at this morning as we jump right in and hit the ground running here. Second Corinthians, let's take a look at it. Chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. There is a word in this key passage that we're utilizing that often gets overlooked or dismissed. It's a simple word, and yet it's a very common word. It's the word should. It's a word that we use fairly frequently in our conversations. It's a common word in our vocabulary. It's not particularly a God word or a Bible word, and yet it appears hundreds and hundreds of times throughout the Bible. It's a word I use often in pastoring and in preaching. It's also a parenting word. I want you to think how many times this past week, as a parent, you have said to your kids what they should do. And that does not change when your children become adult children. You still tell them from time to time what you think they should do. Now, whether or not they do it is an entirely different topic, right? But we often use this word should. There are a lot of things in life that you and I should do. We should exercise more and eat less, shouldn't we? I just came back from an all-inclusive resort in Jamaica, Um, and I can tell you I should eat less, and I should exercise more. I couldn't believe it. In the bungalow that we stayed in, they actually had all the amenities, including a scale. (laughs) Who does that? I mean, that is the definition of cruel irony, isn't it? Here you are in an all-inclusive, and there in your bungalow is a scale. So every day you can weigh yourself and find out just how many pounds you put on. I should. I should worry less and pray more. I should. Reality is what this verse tells us is what we should do. Those who live should no longer live for themselves. Instead, they should live for the one who died for them. And what compels us? What motivates us to do it? The Bible says it is God's love that compels us, that constrains us, that motivates us to actually respond to this imperative. Now, truth is, this speaks to a wider issue that is really clear all through Scripture, and it's this. God never forces us 
to do anything. God has given all of us a free will. And in that free will, he's given us a choice to make, right? We don't have to live for the one who died for us. We don't have to choose to honor him with our lives. But we should. We really, really should. And what we're talking about in this series, as we move into this week particularly, which is called, in the Christian calendar, Holy Week, we're talking about the importance of us not just thinking about how important this is, but actually choosing to do it. The big idea of this series has been simple. God was dead serious about his love for us. So that we would be dead serious about our relationship with him. Not should be dead serious, but we would be dead serious about our relationship with him. Now this week there are two big events coming up that we want to tell you about. First of all, on April the 14th, Good Friday, we're going to have our Good Friday experience at 7 o'clock right here in our auditorium. want to strongly urge you to come. As we contemplate and consider the gravity of the death of Christ, of what he took on for us so that we could have life. And then next weekend on Sunday, on April the 16th, Easter Sunday, we have three morning services, 9 o'clock, 10.15, and 11.30. We'll have baptisms in all of them, believers' baptisms. It's going to be a tremendous day of celebration. We don't want you to miss it. Invite your friends and your family to come who are unchurched and let them come and experience God's love in their hearts and their lives. Now this morning, what is it we should be doing? We've been talking about a number of things in this series. This morning we're going to talk about being dead serious about experiencing the presence of God. Now if you've been in church any length of time, you no doubt have heard people talk about the presence of God. We just sang about it this morning. Your presence, Lord. And yet when we think about the presence of God, it's often something that appears and seems kind of spooky, doesn't it? And this morning what I want to do is I want to take the spooky out of the sacred, and I want to take the mystical out of the mystery of the fact that we can experience God's presence. And one of the great ways for us to learn how to do this and understand what this is, is to understand what presence is and how presence works. So let's unpack this idea of presence this morning. Every one of us carry in our person a presence. Everywhere you go, you take your presence with you. You cannot see it, but believe me, you can sense it. So let me tell you what presence is. Presence is the invisible impact of your person, of your being. Presence is the invisible imprint that you leave on other people. And though it is invisible, it is not intangible. People sense it, people pick it up, people experience our presence, and every time that we carry our bodies somewhere, we are carrying our presence along with them. And you bring a presence that is either positive or negative wherever you go. And truth is, it's often the first impression. Many times it's the last impression that you'll ever make on someone. 
because it is that lasting imprint that you place on them that will tell that person whether or not they ever want to be around you and how much they want to be influenced by you. So think of it this way. When you are in a room together with a group of people and you're having a conversation, and in that conversation, in the room walks someone else and you notice them from a distance, what is it you're sensing? As they're walking toward your circle, as you know you're going to experience them in just a few moments, what is it you're picking up? You're picking up their presence, their perceived presence. And they're bringing in their person something that is coming out of the innermost being of their lives. And so before we can really understand and fully appreciate how we experience God's presence, we must understand how we experience each other's presence. So there are a number of things I want to tell you this morning, and I want to share with you about our presence. First of all, presence is not static. It is dynamic. Which simply means that your presence and my presence is evolving. The circumstances of our lives are impacting and influencing our presence. And so our presence changes, but here's the really good news for us this morning. God's presence doesn't change. The conditions of this world do not alter God's presence. The circumstances of our lives do not change God's presence in our lives. It may change how we understand it. It may change how we even experience it, but it does not change who he is. James chapter 1. Verse 17, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. When I walk and the sun is hitting me, I am casting a shadow that is shifting, that is changing, depending on my position in life. With God, there is no changing. There is no shifting of shadow. God is a constant presence in the lives of those who have relationship with him. The second thing about presence that is important for us to understand this morning is that those closest to us can most readily sense our presence. More than anyone else in my, my life, my wife can sense my presence. And she knows what's going on in my life just based on how she is experiencing my presence. So when I come home from the office and I'm there in the house and she comes home and we have a conversation, she'll often ask me, how was your day today? And regardless of how I respond to that verbally, she can sense what's happening in my life based on my presence based on the invisible impact and the invisible imprint that I am making on her. And we do the same thing with one another. Every time we walk into a relationship with an individual, we are carrying our presence, and the very first thing that people are going to experience, and many times the very thing they're going to remember most, is how they interacted with our presence. What was it like? What did they sense? What was it they were feeling? 
when they were with us. Thirdly, your presence is the greatest resource God has given you for influencing other people. Don't miss this. The greatest resource that you and I have for influencing those around us is our presence. It's what we bring to them. Now, I know that some of us here this morning would say, well, isn't the greatest resource for influencing other people the Word of God, the Bible? Yes, it is. But, but, but in many people's lives, the only Bible they're ever going to read is you. You are it, and I am it. And some people are never going to op- open a copy of God's Word, but they will certainly interact with our presence, and they will experience something when they do. That's the power of the way Jesus Christ came to this earth. It's the power of what he did when he came. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 14 and 18. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now notice this, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus Christ did not only come to us, he became one of us. That's powerful. Jesus actually takes on flesh and brings in his physical body the presence of God right here to the earth. A number of years ago, I was in uh, Romania doing some leadership training. And while I was there, I noticed a number of people along the countryside that were, that were uh, shepherds. Now, I learned that most of the shepherds in Romania are Romanian gypsies. They are the lowest of the lowest class in society. They are the bottom of the social food chain. So many Romanian gypsies have nothing available to them, including no government assistance, no government education. They're not able to utilize many of the resources the government makes available because the Roman gypsies are considered literally outcasts. Isn't it ironic and interesting that the very message of Jesus' coming was first announced to the shepherds. But as I was watching this one shepherd walk up the side of a mountain one day, I noticed something unusual. And I said to my guide, my guest that, that, that was leading me and hosting me, I said to him, why is the shepherd wearing sheepskin? And he said to me, oh, that's simple. It's because he wants the sheep to know that he's one of them. He wants the sheep to sense their own presence. Now think about that. Jesus Christ comes in the flesh. He wraps himself in our stuff, our flesh and blood, so that we could understand and sense God's presence in a more tangible way. We could know that he's here. We could sense him. We could, we could experience him. God in flesh 
here among us. And the Bible says that the Word became incarnate. And just as Jesus came to bring God's presence to us, we now are called to carry God's presence to those that we have relationship with. And I think there's one final thing about presence that we must understand before we talk about God's presence. Presence is the product of our choices over time. Your presence is the outcome and the product of your choices over time. So we make choices in life, and every choice we make creates a memory. Those memories get accumulated inside of our spirit. And if we choose to meditate and focus and concentrate on the negative memories in our lives, on those things that have not been good in our lives, what happens? It affects, it impacts how our presence interacts with other people. That's the importance of being a follower of Jesus Christ. The importance is all of us have negative scripts that are speaking to us constantly in our life. And what we must understand is that God desires there to be a new script that comes into our life that only God's Spirit can bring. God can actually impact and change not just our person, but our very presence, the way other people are experiencing us. So neuroscience has done a great deal for the medical world. One of the things that neuroscience has proven is that our human brains have been created to continually remap. Which means we are constantly creating new mental pathways. It means that we can begin to think differently. We can create categories in our brain that were never there before. And and that person that is a negative person can actually, with the help of God, become a very positive person. That person who dwells on those things where the enemy works can actually begin to bring the transformational power of Jesus Christ into their thinking. We can be renewed in our minds, and in the process, we can recreate our memories. It's powerful, and it impacts our presence. So let me ask you a very important question this morning. What is the presence that emanates from your person? (coughs) To know the answer to that question, there's actually a very simple question that you can ask. It is a question that is profound, it is insightful, and yet it's a question that very few people in life will ever ask. And the reason is, it takes a great deal of courage. It takes an immeasurable amount of courage to ask this question and then be willing to receive the answer. So if you're not taking notes this morning, you might want to jot this one down. Because this is the question that I would just encourage that every one of us in our lives learn to ask other people. Here's the question. Very simple. Five words. How do you experience me? 
How do you experience me? What you're asking in that question is how people sense you. What people feel when they're around you. We might call this the vibe that we give off. Every one of us give off a vibe. And what those vibes are, are speaking a language and a message to people about the person that we are and about the person that we bring into that relationship with them. Now, very few people in life will ever ask others this question. And the reason is, it's scary. Because you might hear some things that are going to put you on your heels. You might hear some things that remind you of some deficits and deficiencies in your heart that you might need to bring God into. By the way, this is just simply a double click out of our vision that our vision is to be an emotionally healthy church. It means that we are becoming self-aware. How do people experience me? How do people experience my person? What kind of presence am I carrying into relationships with those that I know and those that I don't know? Colossians chapter 1 actually says that God wanted to make known to the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery among the Gentiles, which was Christ in you, the hope of glory. While we were in Jamaica, there was a, a young man that we had the chance to talk to one day. Spent very little time with him. Just I spent a couple of moments with him, and then I understood Kelly also spent a couple of moments with him. And the last night that he was there, he was not going to be there the next day, he came up to Kelly and I as we were sitting together by the pool, and he said, I want to just tell you both something. He said, I don't really know who you are. Um, I just had a brief chance to talk to both of you, but, but I just want you to know I sensed something when I was with you both. There's just something about you. There's something, there's joy, there's love, there's happiness, there's a smile. He said, I'm not really sure where that all comes from, but I, but I just want to tell you that I sense something in both of you. We ended up finding out he too was a follower of Christ. And there was something that he was sensing that isn't us. It's God in us. That we all carry the hope of God's glory wherever we go. And if we're allowing it to shine through us, people should be sensing and picking up the presence of God within us. And so how do we experience this? How do we experience God's presence in our lives on in a regular basis and in a routine way? What I'd like to do for the remainder of our time is I'd like to focus on a story that's found in all four Gospels. It's a story that often gets talked about this week, the week before Easter, which is called Palm Sunday. And regardless of your upbringing in church, this is an important story that's so significant it's found in all four of the Gospels, and it tells the story of how Jesus in his final week coming into Jerusalem was being experienced by the crowds. Let's go to John's Gospel, chapter 12. 
verse 1, verses 12 through 13, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, which simply means save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Verses 17 and 18. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So here's the picture. News has spread that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. His fame precedes him. And everybody wants to get close enough to the story and close enough to the caravan to be able to see Jesus. They wanted to catch a glimpse of this king that was coming. Like a rock star. Everybody's pulling out all the stops to get as close as they can. And then what happens next is such an unusual exchange that I think in all the Palm Sunday services I've ever been in, I don't know that I've ever preached about this particular part of the story. But here's what happens in verses 20 through 22. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. So these Greeks come with one simple request. The request is, we'd like you to make arrangements for us to have an audience with Jesus. With our own two eyes, we want to see him. We want to experience him. And Jesus' reaction to this and response is profound. He replies with one of the shortest parables we have in all the Gospels. Here it is, verses 23 and 24. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now what Jesus is saying here is really significant. He's saying what these Greeks want is they want to see my presence. They want to experience me. But he said the time of my departure has come. And he makes the statement in this parable that unless this seed of wheat, this kernel of wheat, dies and is buried... It cannot live. But if it does, it will live and produce many seeds that look just like that kernel. 
what Jesus is saying is this. I am going to be crucified and I'm going to be planted into the soil of death. And the moment that I'm crucified and planted into the soil of death, something really profound is going to take place. The Greeks are going to see me, but they're not going to see me. They're going to see me in you, Philip, and in you, Andrew, and in every other person that would choose to follow me, that would choose to give their hearts to me, that would live their lives for me. They will now become the incarnation of God's love here on this earth. Just as Jesus came in the flesh to bring God's presence in his body, so when he exits this life, he says, you now will become my body, individually and collectively. It's one of the great motifs that we read about in the New Testament, that we are collectively together the body of Christ. How do people experience God's presence the greatest way they experience God's presence is through His body. This is powerful. It means that when we get together like we are this morning, God's presence is right here. That each one of us contribute to the presence of God and His presence here on this earth. That's actually what Matthew chapter 18 suggests. When it says this, for where two or three are assembled in my name, watch this, I am there among them. We gather in the presence of God when we gather together as Grace Crossing Church. God's presence is manifest in us and through us when we gather together as the body of Christ. We do not just individually carry His presence. We do. But we represent His body as the church. And that's profound. That's why the Bible tells us that we're to guard our hearts. For out of our hearts flow the very issues, the very essence of life. Let's go to John's Gospel, chapter 12, the very next verses. 25 through 26. He says, anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. This is one of the great paradoxes of the Gospels. Anyone who loves their life. Everyone who tries to keep and protect their life. Their reputation. Their assets. Their goods. Their future. They're going to lose it. But every single person, it says, who notices, hates their life in this world. That says, my heart is not tethered to this world will gain their life and will keep it, it says, for eternal life. Now, what is eternal life? It's actually one of the most misunderstood things that we have in all the New Testament, and Jesus talked about it a great deal. Eternal life is not a place we're going. It is not life after death. 
It is not what comes when we exit this earth. Every single person has been created to live for eternity. Every person will live forever, either in the presence of God or apart from the presence of God. That's not even a question. So what is it Jesus is talking about when he's talking about eternal life? He's talking about experiencing his presence right here on the earth. John chapter 17. Here's what he said. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Friends, eternal life is a present tense possession. It is something that we have in us and dwelling among us 24-7. It is God with us. When the Bible here says that they may know you, there are two words in the Greek for know. There is a word that means intellectual knowledge, and there's a second word that means experiential knowledge. Jesus here uses the second. He is not talking about cognitive knowledge. He's not talking about knowing about God. He's talking about experientially, emotively, knowing Him personally and intimately. A lot of people have faith to believe that Jesus died for them. But it's amazing how few people have faith to believe that they can experience God in a personal and intimate way. It takes the very same faith to have that kind of relationship with God that we have to aspire mentally to say we believe that Jesus gave his life for us. He wants to have a real-time, personal relationship with every one of us. So what is eternal life? Let me give you a definition. I think eternal life is a power that comes and emanates from the presence of Jesus impacting on our minds to think in terms of thoughts that enhance our divine potential. The person that we are in God. The power of God that flows through the person of Christ is what eternal life is. And so eternal life is living in a constant awareness and a constant interaction and appreciation for the very being of who God is. And that's something the Lord wants all of us to experience. How do we experience it? That we should no longer live for ourselves. But we should begin to live for the one who died for us, who gave his life for us. That is how we experience this eternal life. Now John's Gospel Here's the end of the story. John chapter 12, verses 37, 42 through 43. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Now, there are many things that can impede us from experiencing God's presence. But I think these verses give us three really powerful ones. Number one, impure motives. 
will keep us from experiencing God's presence. When we get more wrapped up in the signs and the wonders, more than experiencing His person and His presence, when we get more wrapped up in the gifts over the giver, we all of a sudden will find ourselves getting out of touch with how His presence interacts with the deepest part of our hearts and our lives. There are many Christians I have seen through the years of my ministry who love to run to the the most exciting horse and pony show in town to find where God is at. Go looking for God in this conference, in that conference, in this place, in that place. Listen, God's presence is in you and God's presence is among us. And we must entertain and honor and appreciate the very presence of God among us. The second thing I think that will prevent us, the Bible says it here, it's fear. Fear will keep us from fully experiencing God's presence. Fear of man will always dispel the fear of God, the honor of God. And whenever we allow fear of what others will say about us, what others will think about us, what others may do to us, we will lose the presence of God, the awareness of His presence in our hearts. The final thing is I think misplaced praise will prevent us. When we seek more human praise over the applause and the praise of God, it dispels the presence of God from among us. Now my love language is words of affirmation. And because my love language is words of affirmation, I've had to fight an uphill battle of needing to receive validation from words of others as opposed to words from God. And one of the things that I think is important for every one of us is to know that, that, that we could get a steady diet of human praise and be missing out on applause from God. And the reverse is also true. You can get no praise from man, and yet God can be up in heaven just applauding you and saying, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Keep your heart in the right place and on the right things. Because here's what Jesus promises. The final verses, verses 44 through 46, and then we're going to pray. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into this world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus came to bring the light of God's presence to the darkness of the human heart. And it is the light of God's presence that awakens us, that makes us realize our need of Him, that brings us into a complete dependence on God at every point of our lives. And it is God's presence in us that others sense, that others feel. They are either sensing God's presence or they're sensing our presence. That's distant from God. And what I want to encourage us to do is a 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that we should no longer live for ourselves, but we should live for the one who died for us, who gave his life for us. Why? Because Christ loved. Christ's love compels us. Let's pray together this morning. Bow your heads.
I want to pray that God this morning will bring a greater awareness in our hearts to His presence. But I also want to pray this morning that God will help each one of us to get in touch with how our presence is impacting and leaving an invisible imprint on those that we are in relationship with. If it's true, and I believe that it is, that our presence is a product of our choices over time, then we create our presence, and with God's help, we can recreate it. We can change our presence with the help of God. And that's my prayer for each of us this morning. Father, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. We need a constant, real-time, ongoing awareness that you are with us, that you are in us, that you are for us. We need to be reminded, Lord, that every choice we make in life creates memories, and those memories inform our, our presence. And so I pray that you would help us to make the right choices as we think about our lives. Help us, God, to surrender everything to you, that we would choose not to try to save our life, but rather we would choose to give up our life here on this earth so that we can experience eternal life. Life abundant and overflowing. My prayer is that as we step into this week, Holy Week, as we move into this weekend of Good Friday and Easter, my prayer is that we would be aware of your presence, how you're moving, how you're ministering, and how you're speaking to us. Shape us, I pray, individually into the people that you want us to be. And then collectively, God, would you shape this body, Grace Crossing Church. May we be the presence of God. And may we steward well the presence of God that is among us, who is in us. Thank you for allowing us to be your body here on this earth. We love you. We honor you. We thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for being here this morning. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.